Hi, everybody. I'm so glad to be with you again. I'm so glad that you're going through this process of developing critical skills that are going to bring you to greater maturity in Christ. Um, I hope you've uh, felt benefit in the, the um, lectures and in the practice time that you've been given up to this point. And uh, I'm really happy to be back with you um, talking about faith this week. Um, I'd like to uh, review a couple of things before we jump in. Um, I, I hope that even before you started somebody press play, that you um, did memory verses. I, I hope that you took a moment to uh, exchange memory verses with the people around you, because I really want you to be putting a stake in the ground around every one of these concepts and saying, this thing's going to live in me forever. I, I know this thing. I, I, it's going to become part of my whole worldview. Um, so the memory verses are really important. I want to underline that again. Um, what's a skill? Let me ask this. You just considered this in review. What's a skill that we're all going to have to have or will die? Remember the last time I was with you? The skill is repentance. We've got to be able to repent or we'll die. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all perish. And um, we talked about um, 2 Corinthians saying that repentance leads to salvation. So that is such an integral skill. I'm not surprised the writer of Hebrews put that first because that's the way that we kind of flesh out everything that we're learning. Every new aha moment from God demands a moment of repentance where we say, I'm laying aside that old belief. I'm taking on this new one. And I'll, I'll also say this. If in your small groups you are not um, repenting every single time you get together, something's broken. That needs to be happening every time. And if your leader's not leading you all through actual repentance and then forgiving you, and then commanding the enemy to get off your property, and then blessing you, um, and then asking the Holy Spirit to come there, you need to raise your hand. And we need somebody from our team to talk to your leader, because that's their job, is to walk you up to repentance, and then help you walk out of whatever uh, has bound you or is binding you. Huge thing. What are some benefits of repentance that we talked about? Can anybody consider those? What are those benefits of repentance? God promises times of refreshing will come. Salvation is one of the benefits of repentance. Um, having a life of no regrets is one of the benefits of repentance. Um, he, he says, I want you to live. I want you to repent and live. So life is one of the benefits. And when we talked about um, being priests to one another, who... who is a valid person for us to confess to? Who could we confess to and repent to? I hope you're all going, anyone, anyone who believes could be a priest. And we ought to be, by practice, becoming more equipped and more skilled priests so that we can walk people through these kinds of things. Um, I hope you know that you can forgive and bless. And I want you all to feel authorized. I can forgive. I can bless. I don't have to wait for a counselor to give me permission. I don't need to go see a pastor and hope that he'll forgive somebody. I can do it. That's something that I can do. 
Last question in review is, according to Hebrews 6, that was the passage that we started with, what's a distinction between a mature and an immature person? What's, what's a difference that's listed in Hebrews 6? It's in the title of this class. It's skill. Skill. So we're, that's why we have to practice every time we get together. Your, your drill groups are not a place for discussion primarily. They're not a place to chew the fat of, what did you think about that teaching? Interesting. I don't know about that point. It's the time to just start doing it. Get it into your life. Start practicing these skills. So I'm going to review just a little uh, bit of that Hebrew 6 passage so that you know where we are in the skills list. It says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to maturity or to perfection not laying again the foundations of, so these are the elementary foundations, one, repentance from dead works, and two, here it is, faith toward God. So I don't know if you've ever thought of faith as a skill, but that's how it's listed in Hebrews 6. It's a skill. And um, that's what I'm really excited to talk to you about today. Um, so let's dig in. Okay, I'm going to the first blanks on your sheet. It says Romans 14.1 talks about someone whose faith is weak as being a more immature brother. And I want you to see that those things go together. If you have weak faith, you're immature. So I've heard and we tend to think, well, if you've been a believer for a long time, if you hang around church world for a while, if you memorize some verses, you're mature. I would say no. If you have skills, you're mature. And according to Romans 14:1, if you have a strong faith, you're mature. So if your faith is weak, if you're not sure how God feels about me today, I'm not sure if I believe him today. I'm not here to condemn you at all. I'm just here to tell you you're in a place of immaturity. And let me say this about this whole class. I, I, I don't know if I said this the first time I was with you, um, but what we're all striving toward in, in this class and this, as we seek the Lord in the scriptures and we're with people who have known him longer than us, et cetera, <clears throat> it's our destiny that we become more like Christ. That's what we're working toward. And that's what I want to help you guys with. We've learned some lessons about how to deal with the fear in your past and how to get that stuff off of you, for instance. But if you're stuck in the middle of fear and we spend a, an hour talking about fear and you spend another week studying fear and then you spend two hours with your group talking about fear and you find I'm still dealing with fear, let me just say this to you. It's all right. It's all right. I don't want anybody to feel the pressure of, I have to get mature and perfect in these things this week. I got to be done with them this week. So I got to get my head around faith and then I got to get it all straight. Listen, I've been a believer for 35 years. Um, I still don't have this stuff worked out that I'm going to be talking to you about today. I'm still growing in it. There's no condemnation for, for people who are in Jesus Christ. That's uh, Romans 8.1. We're not here to condemn you. I know that it's easy to feel condemned when we start talking about maturity. But what I want for all of us is simply that we would raise our eyes with a vision of what maturity looks like. It looks like being able to repent instantly. It looks like being able to be a priest to the people around you. It looks like being able to offload bitterness 
and forgive people, even when they do awful, awful things to you. Um, and it also looks like growing your faith. So I want you to feel that when we're talking about faith. I want you to feel grace in what I'm saying. I'm not trying to put pressure on you. And I'll be good at this too. You can go to any church if you want to feel that way. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to guilt you or shame you at all. I just, want, I just want you to understand what faith will do for you. And then I want to give you the tools to start, to start engaging with faith. And just start moving. Just start moving. Okay. That was a long ex explanation of Romans 14.1. So faith is the spiritual battery that powers everything you want in God. And you need more of it. I don't know if you know that, but you need more of it. However much faith you've got, you need more. And there are ways to get more. And that's what I want to share with you. It's really actually exciting stuff. If you think, well, I just wish I... I don't know if you've ever had this thought. I have. I wish I believed in God more. Have you ever had that thought? I wish I trusted Him more. I wish I could read the Bible and, and feel these words are true. I can help you with that. That's called faith. That, that muscle that secretes belief, it's called faith. And we can build it up. So let's, let's talk about what it is for a second. Faith in God is often thought of as what we, what we can get out of God or what we want from Him. And so you'll hear people say, well, I have faith for this job. I, am, I have faith for a wife. I don't really think that's what mature faith looks like. And again, if, if you're at a place in your walk with Christ where just believing Him to do good things for you is all you've got, I don't condemn you. I've been there. Um, trusting that He'll provide rent this month is a really crucial step in your growth. And so if you're at a place where, I, well, I'm just believing by faith that God is going to provide for me this year, that's excellent. Great. Great. Dig in there and put down stakes there. My encouragement would be, don't expect to stay there. He's got more for you than that. Okay, so sometimes people think that, that faith is just a way to wish towards God. So um, I think about what I really want. Oh, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 35, and I'm just, I'm just having faith for that. Um, I used to hear that a lot in the 90s, and what we're really doing is just throwing wishes at God and calling it faith. That's not faith. Matthew 6.33 makes this really simple promise. It says, um, how does it start? Uh, Matthew 6.33, it says, if we believe in God, he, He's going to give us everything that we need. It says if we seek His kingdom first, if we seek His righteousness, everything that we need will be added on to us. That's sort of faith 101, is that if I'm just seeking Him, He'll take care of me. That's, again, that's great. We want to move past that. I, I, what I want is I want to live in a place where I have confidence that He's going to do good and He's going to do right and that He's going to do what He said. And that's going to produce action in me, that confidence. Let me tell you a couple of Let's put a pause button on that. Let me just tell you a couple of stories from my life. Okay? Stories. I remember distinctly my senior year in college. I, um, I was as lax as you were my senior year. Um, I, was, I knew that I was going to graduate. I had all of the credits and stuff, and I was coming into finals. And um, our finals 
counted something like 40% of our grade. It was a paper that was due at like 8 a.m. The, the, uh, on the morning of finals. And our uh, prof had told us, if you don't get your paper in at 8 a.m., we're going to give you a zero. So you'll fail the class. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you do. You've got to get it in on time. Well, um, finals season is a time of cramming and doing a ton of stuff in a short amount of time. And so I had stayed up till the wee hours finishing this paper, I remember. And then I recall that morning, I can picture it in my mind, waking up and having in, in, this immediately disorienting feeling. Why did I just wake up on my own? Why didn't my alarm just wake me up right now? I just woke, I'm not hearing any buzzing in my ears. And immediately panic set in. And I reached over and looked at my clock and it was sort of like my paper's due in eight minutes. It was something like that. And... Um, Boy, oh boy, I threw on my clothes, I, my paper was printed out, jumped in my car, I drove across campus, left my car double parked, it's going to get towed, whatever. I'm just thinking, I've got to graduate college and this paper's got to get in or I will be here longer than I had planned. And um, there was a job fair happening at the time, I remember, in, in the, on the first floor. My prof's office was on like the 12th floor, and you had to get an elevator to get to her office. And I walked into the lobby, and it is crammed with people. And I remember praying under my breath, God, I mean, this isn't a particularly righteous or unusual prayer, but just, God, you got to help me. I, I, please, God. And I remember I just started running um, towards where the elevators were. And I remember two things happening unbelievably. One was that everybody in my way, whether they were looking at me or not, they all just parted. And I was able to run straight across this lobby, must have been 75 yards. I ran straight across the lobby and when I arrived at the elevator, the elevator doors opened and there was nobody in the elevator. And I pressed the button and I um, ran up there. I, I shoved my paper through the door as the prof was closing the door to her office. And she said, just made it, and then closed the door behind me. And I remember that day, I mean, it sounds crazy that I remember this so well, but I remember that day just sort of sitting there, my car had not been towed. I remember sitting there and thinking, I think God did that for me. I, I don't know how that happened, but I think he did that for me. And I remember, I remember that was chiseled on my heart somehow, and here I can remember it 20 years later, or whatever it is. Um, I remember years later, I was, in, I was living in England. I was very alone, <clears throat> and um, I think, you know, if you've ever lived internationally or just lived alone for a long time, you've known the pain of just feeling totally isolated. And when you live overseas, it can be worse because nobody even knows your, nobody has any reference for your background. When I talk about going to a football game, you all know what I mean. People in England don't know what that means. I mean, there's just no, just very little sort of commonality. Um, 
So I felt really isolated. And I remember being on my knees one morning praying and saying, God, I just feel so down and I can't, I don't feel like I can do your work when I have this sort of cloud of sadness over me. Um, I hope this doesn't sound too selfish, but I need some encouragement. And I was still on the floor praying when there was a knock at my door and it was the postman. And he brought me a package, which was always exciting. Um, and he brought me a package, and inside the package was uh, notes from several friends with brownies inside that friends had sent me. Um, and I remember thinking at that moment, God did this because he loves me. He, he inspired my friends to sit down, write notes to me, um, and send me stuff overseas. I remember um, another time in my life, I was living in Dallas, and I felt, you could say I'm nuts, but I felt that God had told me um, I, had, I had lost my job. Um, and I felt God was telling me, I don't want you to try to get another job. I just want I want you to myself for a while. So I had a very lonely um, stretch where I would basically study the Bible and pray a lot and write a couple of sad songs during the day. And that was pretty much my life. And um, I also crashed my car during that time, um, which is hard to pay for when you don't have any money. And I just kind of thought, I just, I don't know what's happening in my life right now. And I don't know if God's going to, I feel like he led me into this season. I don't know if he's going to leave me out to dry or what. And I had a friend who he asked me to sing in his wedding. And I said, Victor, I really appreciate that, but I'm not going to bring a lot of joy to your wedding right now. I'm just going to hard time. And he said, I don't care, Stephen. I just want you there. You, I'm just going to have you sing. It, it'll be fine in the wedding. I want you there. Okay, thanks, man. Um, I found a way to get to his wedding. He gave me an envelope at the wedding. And if you sing in someone's wedding and they give you an envelope, you like that. That's a good thing. And I was thinking, oh, man, if this is 20 bucks, that's going to be fantastic. And I remember, you know, you're very polite. You just put that, well, thank you very much. I'm not going to look at it. The minute I'm out the door looking at the, at the card inside, it was a check for $1,000. I'd never seen a $1,000 check in my life. Um, and I remember thinking, God's going to take care of me. I don't know what inspired Victor. He did not know my financial situation. We weren't that close. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have known any, anything. Um, but he was inspired, I think, by God to, for this outrageous generosity. Um, I, I could tell more stories. Here's my point. I have this backlog in my life where I think of these stories and, and I think... Um, well, I'm challenged. What do I think about these stories? And I could ask you, what do you think about your stories in your life? Where do you think that money came from? Where do you think the brownies came from? If you would say to me, well, you just had good friends. You had a, a guy who maybe overheard about your situation, had compassion on you, etc. I would say, no, no, I don't accept those answers. You know why? Because James 1.17, which is a blank on your sheet, James 1.17 says this, every good and perfect gift. How many? How many? 
every, every good and perfect gift, every good thing that comes through your life, says James 1.17, comes from God. Write that down. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Now that's, that is a real, I mean, you could just spend a couple of days if you've never thought about that, just considering what are the implications of that statement. Are you telling me that when the weather's good outside, that that is a gift from God to me? Are you telling me that every time I turn the key on my car and it actually turns over, that that's a good gift that God is delivering, like hand delivering to me? Are you telling me that every time I exchange smiles or pleasantries with somebody at the office, that God's the author of that moment and that he's smiling on me and that he's extending his hand with a good gift for me? Every turkey sandwich, every, every baseball game that I enjoy, every time I hold my child in my arms, you telling me that's all God? I'm telling you, James 1.17 says that's God. And I'm also telling you that when I start looking back at the history of my life with this lens, something happens in me and I realize, whoa, the story of my life is one of God just stacking blocks, one blessing on top of the other. James, uh, John, I think of John chapter one, which says, we have all received blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace, Kindness stacked on top of kindness. That's the story of my life. I know that it is because I know this verse is true, that every good thing comes from him. Now, I'm going to get back to faith here in a second, but that's a really important concept, is understanding that the good things that have come my way have come on account of God's goodness. I look back and I realize that I, I've seen God's goodness, and let me just ask you this. What do you think I'm going, how do you think I'm going to react when the next problem or challenge comes along? I can tell you that God is building an increasingly strong case in my mind that he's actually good, that he actually knows my needs, and that he's going to come through for me. And the next thing that comes along, I'm going to have the faith in him to endure that thing and come through with flying colors, and we'll talk more about what flying colors means in a second. Now Hebrews 11 says that faith is, this is on your sheet, faith is evidence. I already used that word in describing the way that I'm seeing God working in me. Faith is evidence, and that means that a case is being presented. The story of your life, if you can see it, is one of God trying to make a case for you that He is good and that he's reliable, and he can be trusted. He wants to prove to you that you can't see it, but it's real, so that you will trust him. Faith is your reliance on the, here comes some more blanks, faith is your reliance on the unseen world based on your encounters with it. Faith is not a wish, it is substantive. So I'll tell you another major thing that happened in my life, um, much later on. I, again, I have a lot of stories like this, and uh, I'm happy to tell them, happy to remember them. They actually help me to remember. But um, after, after being married, my wife and I started um, wondering, are we infertile? Is there some barrenness happening with us? Um, 
we, and so we start, saw an infertility doctor and sure enough, yeah, we are struggling with infertility. And um, if anybody here has known the pain of that, it is not fun, it's isolating, it's, um, it's really frustrating. We really believe that one of the reasons God gave us marriage according to Genesis is to have children. We wanted children, we we're expecting them. We'd actually received prophetic words from people in years past that we would have children. And we, uh, how are we going to react to that? What do you do? Um, I can tell you based on my story, I had, I had been walking with God and knowing him at that point, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. And I had enough backlog of, of experience with him that I just trusted he was going to do me good, even in the problems and the pain associated with what we we're going through I trusted he's going to do me good and I, I think that's where I'm at now I mean I, I'm not in any major uh, life life uh, crisis right now but I think I'm in that place where I can say I just believe that he's going to do me good and I'll just tell you it's a good place to be there's a lot of peace there and I remember talking with Dora um for a long time about the confidence that I had in, in what God was going to do. I'm not saying this is what he does with everybody in infertility, but we really felt um, confident that through no medical surgery or anything that we were going to have children naturally. And of course, the doctors told us, well, if you haven't had kids naturally in six months, you're not going to statistically. So you should just give up and let us do what we're going to do. And we just felt like, you know, we're not, we're not going that way. And um, it, was a, it was a four to five year haul of um, faith growing. And eventually the Lord gave us two children. We don't think we're done, but he gave us two. And um, you know, what a, that was a huge moment when I came home one night and I remember my wife had set up some candles and she'd put some Bible verses out and she put a little onesie out. And clearly the indication was we're pregnant and the Bible verses were just that God's going to do good to us. He's going to do what we, what he, what we feel that he's told us to do. I know that's, that story sounds subjective, but it was very real to us at the time. And I'm grateful that God gave us the faith to walk through that. And I believe he's going to give us the faith to walk through the next thing. Faith is incredibly useful. So our definition, our working definition is, and here it is on your sheet, acting in a hopeful confidence that God is who he says he is regardless of circumstances. So if you have a hopeful confidence, it will lead you into action. I believe that God is who he says he is regardless of my circumstances. Now, I think of, um, I think of faith, just because it's helpful to me, uh, as this little donkey. See this little donkey, this cute little guy? I think of him as faith. Now, here's the thing about a donkey. A donkey will do massive amounts of work for you. It can get incredible amounts accomplished. They have incredible endurance. They're really resilient animals, and they can get a ton done for you. And all you have to do is feed them well and give them what they need. And man, they're, they're going to take off. So I, what, all I'm going to do for the rest of our time together is I'm going to tell you what's the food that you can feed this little donkey named Faith, what's the food that he needs, and then what can he produce. And um, I hope that you'll walk out of here going, well, I'm going to feed that thing because I want that stuff. So let's, let's jump in. What grows faith? Here we go. Number one, 
Hearing God's words grows faith. Hearing God's words. I'm going to be using a lot of Bible in, in our time today just because I want to back up the stuff that I'm trying to tell you about faith. Um, Hebrews, uh, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So when you hear God's words, it grows your faith. You ever notice that? You go to wherever somebody's teaching the Bible, or you're exposed to the Bible or scriptures, and you just walk, or you just walk away believing more because you heard God's word. Isn't that crazy how that works? Yeah, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by God's word. That's one of the benefits of being in community with people, who are constantly telling stories like the ones that I've just told you. They tell stories about the time that God opened up the elevator for me and I got my paper in in time for, to get my grade for finals. We tell those stories to each other. Those are God's words. Those are things that God's done. And we hear those and it builds our faith. Number two, um, this should be a default for us, but obeying in action grows faith. Remember um, what's as easy as one, two, three, how to know that you're born again? We know that we've come to know him if we do the things that he commands. That's 1 John 2, 3, 1, 2, 3. Jesus said in John 14, 21, he said, the one that obeys my commands, the one who has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. And he says, and whoever loves me, I will reveal myself to him and my father will do that. He says, I will love him and my father will reveal himself to him. So um, needless to say, if, if you feel Jesus' love for you and God reveals himself to you, your faith has grown and obedience produces faith. If you want to feed faith, obey. And all I can simply say about that is, None of us get an email from God telling us what to do. We all have to act on a hunch. We all have to take a risk and say, I think God's calling me to do X, Y, Z. I think I'm supposed to move, um, move my job. I had breakfast with a guy this morning who said, we just felt that God was telling us to move to Buffalo. And so we thought, I think he is. And we packed up and they moved to Buffalo. They didn't get an email from Jesus saying it for sure. They had to take a risk. And, they, and, and I'm telling you, just by having that willingness to obey, to try, to take a shot at it, God recognizes that. And he goes, this is somebody that wants me. And he reveals himself. And, it, and your faith is built by taking those risks of obedience. And I'm not talking about inventing some weird thing and calling it, I'm obeying God. I'm saying you, you earnestly think that you might be hearing God's voice and say, I'm willing to take a risk because I think it might be God. Your faith will grow. Three, recognizing God's goodness all around you, thus becoming convinced. Remember what he's done. Write it down. Talk about it. And that's what I was talking about initially when I'm talking about my stories in James 1.17. Remembering and recognizing his goodness. This would be a great exercise for any of us to just go, let's go a couple of days and let's just Let's pull out a notebook, carry a notebook around with you and say, I'm just going to fill out 25 things today where I'm recognizing God's goodness around me. I mean, when you walk indoors on a summer day and it's air conditioned, do you ever have any gratitude toward God for that moment of, whoo, that feels good? Well, God's expressing goodness toward you. It's the same in the winter when, you, when your car finally warms up. You're like, this feels so good. I'm thawing out right now. Right, goodness. God's expressing goodness toward you. 
it would be wise for all of us to become adept at recognizing God's goodness and, and, just, and just having that heart of gratitude. Your faith will grow. Number four, actively believing God to do what he said. Um, James 2, uh, we've got verses 14 through 26 on your sheet here. And it's basically this passage about um, faith and works. And I know that you have faith if you, if you act on that faith, believing that God's going to do what he said he would do. And our gold standard in this passage is Abraham. God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Trust me. I'm going to bless you. But I want you to leave your father's house and move to a land you've never seen before. Go ahead and go. And trust me, I'll bless you in the long term. Now, just because Abraham believed God, he hadn't seen this blessing. He hadn't become the father of a nation. He hadn't seen any of that stuff. And he packed up his house and said, well, let's give it a shot. Let's go. He took this risk. God saw that thing in him. It says faith. God saw his faith and called it righteousness in him. And God showed himself um, he, he showed himself to Abraham because he had that belief. God's going to do what he said he's going to do. I'm not even going to worry about that anymore. We don't have any record of Abraham repeatedly praying to God. Now, God, please don't forget that you said that you would bless us. Please remind us of what you said 10 times a day as we move out of Ur toward this new land we've never seen before. He didn't do that. He just said, I just believe God's going to do what he said. Let's go. And it was a settled thing in his heart. Believing that God's going to do what he says produces faith. Even when the chips are down. I think that's called suffering well. When you, when you believe that God's going to do what he said, even in the midst of rough circumstances. Um, man, we, we've been through some stuff in my life, and I'm sure you've been through some stuff too, where there's family falling apart or crisis happens or uh, you go through illness or whatever, and in, if in the midst of that, you can say, I just believe that God's going to do right. I believe that he will do what's right in this circumstance. That produces faith. And I'm going to tell you what, you're gonna, what faith will do for you in just a second, but it's real. Okay, number five. This one seems like it's out of left field, but I just want to tell you what the Bible says. If you will pray in the Spirit, you will, pr you will build faith. That's right there in Jude 1, 20, and it's in 1 Corinthians 14, 4. If you will pray in the Spirit, your faith will grow. You might not even know what praying in the Spirit is, or that sounds like, whoa, we didn't do that where I come from. Don't worry, we didn't do that where I come from either. I grew up in a Texas Baptist church, and there were certain parts of the Bible that we'd just rather were not there, but they are there. And the Scripture says that you can build yourself up in your faith by praying in the Spirit. I'm just going to leave that there for now. If you'd like to investigate more of what that is, there will be a doc I'm trusting on the app where we've written out some stuff. You can get that if you want to. Um, it's, it's just a document that describes praying in the Spirit. So you know that. And the last one, number six, is humbling yourself. Humbling yourself. 1 Peter 5 says, Submit to God. <clears throat> um, it, well, it says He gives grace to the humble. That is, if I will humble myself before him, he recognizes this in his power and grace. He recognizes anybody around the world who's humbling themselves before him. He can smell it a mile away 
and he gives grace to those people. Grace is amazing. I mean, we define grace as um, God's ability to do right, God's ability. And he gives you his ability in the midst of whatever the circumstance is, if you will humble yourself. And that might sound like a an indefinable phrase also. What is, what is humbling yourself exactly? Um, let me give you some suggestions about what that is. Submitting to God, submitting to other people who you trust. I mean, do you really submit to your boss or do you kind of resent his authority over you? If you really submit to him and try to be a blessing to him or her, um, you submit in your marriage, you submit to your parents, God recognizes all those things and he promises blessing for them. Confessing your sin is a way to humble yourself. Have you felt humbled as you've been vulnerable to your drill group? Yeah, of course, it's humbling um, to admit our faults. God loves that stuff and he gives favor and grace and builds the faith of people who do that. I'll give you another couple ones. Esteeming others is better than yourself. Initiating hard conversations. Taking postures of humility in worship. Or do you always do this when you're worshiping? Yeah, that's good. I think everybody else is singing loud enough that I think I'll sing too. Um, I, I don't, the, the Bible describes postures in worship that we're to take. It says, for instance, in 1 Timothy 1 8 or 2 8, somewhere in 1 Timothy, um, it says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. If you're a guy, and you love the Lord, there should be times in your life where you're lifting up hands in prayer to God. There's a lot of scriptures about bowing before him to pray. Do you do that? You know what? This, this week will be your big chance to start doing some of the stuff because I want you to humble yourself so that you can grow your faith. Defend the poor. Fast. Stop defending yourself when you're attacked. Make yourself of no reputation, etc. There's also a doc that we're going to put on the app which is um, 15 ways to humble yourself. And um, that, that was passed along to me long ago, and um, it's been a blessing, so we want to throw it out to you. How to humble yourself. You will get God's grace, and you get his faith um, if you will humble yourself. So this little donkey loves all the things that I just described. It'll eat them up, and that donkey will grow strong. Faith. Your faith will grow strong. Now, I wish we could just break because I know I've been talking a lot, <clears throat> but whew, now I want to talk to you about what that little donkey will do for you. If you'll just feed that guy some good stuff, this, this faith guy will work like crazy in your life to accomplish way more than you ever imagined, such as, ready? Um, number one. Miracles. Matthew 13 says that Jesus didn't do miracles in town because these people lacked faith. I don't think that the strength of my faith produces the strength of miracle. I don't think that if I have a 10 amount of faith, I can have a 10 miracle. I don't think it works that way. And if you have a two faith, you're only going to get a two miracle. I just think having faith in him opens the door for Jesus to come in and do whatever he wants to do. I've seen miracles in my life. I told you the one of uh, God giving us our first child. It was a miracle, medically speaking. Um, the doctors told us, you won't get pregnant. It's not going to happen. And it happened. 
Um, it happened much, much later than they said was possible. Um, there's all sorts of stories like that in Scripture. Abraham saw God's miracles. They followed this faith that happened in his life. It will happen for you. We said, what was our definition for faith? A hopeful confidence that God is who he says he is, regardless of circumstances. When God comes through for you in the midst of uh, improbable circumstances, when you have this, <laughs> you have this incredible epiphany of, he did come through. I can't believe it. He really is who he says he is. I can trust him. And suddenly your faith goes, wah. And if you guys can just share, even, even with one another this week, share some of the improbable things that have happened to you in your life. When God saved you and how he came through for you. And you just find that your faith just, just explodes just by hearing these stories. I mean, one of the stories that I tell about my life is the time that we were in my, my uh, uncle's, did I already tell this story? My uncle's um, boat. And we were, okay, we we're coming into the shore and um, I thought, I was about 10 years old, and I thought, well, we're done skiing now. I guess we can jump off the boat. So I did jump off the boat. But the problem was I jumped in front of the boat. So the boat then proceeded to run over me, and I was headed right for the propeller in the back of the boat. And don't ask me the physics of how this happened, because I can't, I can't even replay it in my mind. I don't know how it could have happened. My uncle, who's about five, six, or seven, leaned over the side of the boat, just reached his hand into the water and grabbed my ankle and yanked me out of the water and pulled me back into the boat. Uh, Stephen, you can't jump off the front of the boat. Oh, gee, thanks. I look back at that story and go, how did he find my leg? How, what are the, how long is his arm at this moment? How did the physics of this thing work? Uh, why didn't I hit the propeller and get chopped into a thousand pieces? I don't know. I just know, looking back on my life, God's been good to me. I, I think that's miraculous. If you don't think it's miraculous, I have no problem with that, and I don't need your affirmation to think it's miraculous. I bet you if we look through the story of your life, we would find miracle after miracle after miracle where God came through for you. He preserved your life. He was holding you out for himself. God, God's faithfulness, if we can just recognize it, we'll see these miracles everywhere. That, good job, donkey. Miracle. All right, second one. We know that with faith we can drive out demons. Drive out demons. Matthew 17, well, we're already doing that, right, when we're repenting, so that's not any big shakes for us. But Matthew 17 says the disciples came to Jesus and they said, why couldn't we drive it out? And he said, because you have so little faith. And as God grows your faith, I have the expectation that as your faith grows, you'll be dealing with bigger and bigger demons for the sake of the kingdom. That, that God can entrust you with more and bigger problems. I know that doesn't sound like fun, but that's how it works, is when you sort of, forgive this language, but when you graduate into larger faith, more maturity in Him, He can hand you bigger demons, even demons that are dealing, not just for yourself, but for the people around you. And He, and he will say, I think you can handle this one. You'll always be stretched. It'll always be a risk. You'll always have to act on a hunch that you feel the Spirit of God in you. It'll never be simple or easy, but as you grow in your faith, you'll, you'll have more um, authority over demons. Number three, I'm going to zip through a couple of these. Resurrection from the dead. We're going to talk about that at length um, later, next semester. But resurrection from the dead, you're going to get it as a result of faith. Number four, God's work comes as a result of faith. 
um, 1 Timothy 1, 4 and John 14, 12 say on the nose that God's work, God's real work is a result of faith. It's not a result of do-gooderism. It's not a result of compassion for people. I just feel sorry for poor people. Um, I'm just going to go do a good thing. That isn't God's work. God's work comes as a result of faith. That's what these verses say. I want to only do God's work personally. I don't want to get to the end of my life and, and have God sort through my life and go, well, 80% of what you did was because you were trying to be a nice guy and have people think well of you. And 20% of what you did, I actually motivated in you. I actually did. I don't want that to happen. I would rather that he motivated me to do everything so that at the end of my life he can go, I think you got a great looking CV here, son. You did what I wanted. Well done. That's what I, that's what I want to hear from him. So I want the things that happen in my life to be really God's work. I want it to be God's work. And that means it'll be a result of faith. Number five, righteousness from God. We already saw that with Abraham, that his faith produced what God called righteousness. Number six, defeating the enemy's schemes. Every, you know, we're talking about all this demony stuff in this class. And you, it might feel daunting for you to, to, you know, to look at the track record of bitterness in your family and go, I don't know how I'm ever going to get out from under this thing. You can defeat the enemy's schemes with faith. You strap that to that little donkey, you feed him some good food and watch him go. And he, you'll, see, you'll see success over um, the enemy's schemes. Ephesians 6 says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Doesn't that sound good? If you think, are you telling me if I humble myself, take in some of God's word and pray in the spirit, that I would have a, a shield that I could extinguish every one of the demons, uh, every one of the enemy's flaming arrows that he sends my way? Yes, that is exactly what's being said here. If you'll grow your faith, if you'll feed your faith, it does all of this incredible work for you like distinct, uh, extinguishing all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Number seven, salvation. Hooray, we love salvation. Salvation. Luke 7, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And 1 Peter 1.9 says, faith's goal is salvation. This whole engine, this little burrow that we're calling faith, who does this work and plows fields. He actually has a goal at the end and all this stuff is beautiful. He's producing miracles. He's producing authority over demons. All these wonderful crops are coming in his wake, but he actually has a goal and the goal is salvation. And his job is to help take you there. I mean, how grateful are you to God for giving you this thing called faith? I mean, it produces all of this wonderful fruit. It's wonderful. Okay, you've got some blanks there. I know you want to fill in. Faith is the gateway for God's grace to be applied. We, we really see that Ephesians 2.8 describes these things working in combination. It says that um, it is by grace that we are saved through faith. And faith, you know, faith gets it in, in action. Faith churns these things together. And so we say that it's the gateway for God's grace to be applied. Number eight, obedience. We've, we've talked about obedience as being something that grows faith, but did you know that obedience is one of the products of faith too? If you'll start doing hard obedience now, you'll find that you can obey easier later. Um, Romans 1.5 says so. Love is one of the products of faith. 
I don't know if you ever considered that, but Galatians 5, 6 says so, that love is a product of faith. And lastly, pleasing God, which I want to do desperately and you want to do, that is a product of faith. Now, I want to say one, one sort of final thing here, because I can't talk about the subject of faith without saying this. Okay, you know that we've got this beautiful, sweet, enduring, steadfast donkey that if we feed it this good food, it will produce all kinds of awesome stuff for us. And it'll just, it'll just do it on its own. It's great. You should know this also about faith. Your faith will be tested. I can't talk about faith without saying that. Your faith will be tested. James 1 uh, says this explicitly. I would encourage you to spend some time this week looking at James 1. And here's what it says. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance is necessary to become mature. I have to hang out on this point because if you cannot endure hard times with your faith intact, you're going to crash. And so faith must be tested. There must be times where you get a little bit of testing. I kind of doubted God there. I doubted him for a second. That's all right. That's all right. Keep going. You'll be fine. And then a bigger thing comes along in your life. And, you, and you, it was a, a two-month struggle. And you say, well, there was an hour or two in there when I really doubted God. But praise God, my faith came through. But it was stuff, tough. I would say, it's all right. You're doing good. You're doing good. Well, then you might have a year later on where that was an awful year. And there was a week in there when I, I just didn't know if my faith was going to make it intact. Great, you know, I could give you some tips on how to build that faith in that hard time, but we have to have our faith tested for us to become mature. Think of Jesus' life, what he endured, and his faith came through. He believed, his God, he believed his Father God even dying on the cross. He believed him. He had nothing in his circumstances telling him that God cared about him or was aware of him, none of that, but he believed him in that moment. We're going to have to go through that same thing, too. So I have to say this. The mature don't whine. They don't whine about the... I know I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't do this. I'm guilty of whining in hard times. But the mature don't whine, nor do they despair when things don't go their way. That's what, that's what infants do. Now, if you're an infant and you're a real whiner and you throw up your hands in despair, all is lost. I don't think God loves me anymore. Again, I'm not going to blame you. I just want you to understand that that's immaturity. And that thing's going to grow out of you. So just be patient. It'll grow out of you as you grow in your faith. That whining muscle and that despair muscle, is gonna, you're going to be done with it. If God tarries in meeting our felt needs, we'll not cry and accuse him of being evil. Evil. We'll know he's working out a bigger plan. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange when we go through trouble. We're promised to go through trouble. It's actually necessary to growing our faith. And when those things happen, I would encourage you, just keep doing these things. Keep humbling yourself. Pray in the Spirit more. Man, when I'm in the hard times of my life, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray. I'm just kind of feel done. And all that we can do sometimes is just pray in the spirit and go, God, I'm giving you my spirit. I'm releasing this to you. Do whatever you got to do. I don't understand what's happening. 
with me right now. Um, we have to go through those hard times. And I want your expectations to, to, be, to revolve around that. And I also want you to also, this blank is, help set other people's expectations. I want us to be real done with the cultural expectation that when I know God, everything's going to go nice. Everything will get good and the money will start coming in and then I'll meet my ideal spouse and then I'll have my beautiful kids and finally I'll get my sweet little house. That's not described in the scriptures. What happens to people in the New Testament when they get God is things get harder for them and things get taken away from them and they start going through the hard work of, say, working through your strongholds and doing this hard work. You didn't have to do this work before you were born again, right? You just got to lay around and going, yeah, this is the fear and bitterness of my family. We're fine. And suddenly God comes and he's got a, a surgeon's scalpel in his hand, ready to go to work. I'm ready to start cutting out your stuff. Whoa, what are you doing? That suffering, even the suffering that you feel going through the stuff in this class, it's part of God's process. We are believers. We're believers. We're not cynics. We're not doubters. We're not mockers. We're believers. That's why I started at the very front with James 1.17. Every good gift comes from God. We believe it. Listen to this encouraging scripture and I'm done. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an, external, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, that wouldn't require faith, but on what is unseen, faith. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So you guys are going to be doing some drills out of here where you can start practicing your faith your, your, um, and exercising your faith and feeding that guy. Um, you're also going to be doing some exercises where you start recognizing God's goodness in your past. I hope you'll look at the, um, the document that's 15 Ways to Humble Yourself. And I hope you repent well in your groups. Thank you for the time. Sorry we went a little bit long today. Thanks for hanging in with me. And I'll see you next time. Bless you.